0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The west coast of Alaska is experiencing a devastating loss of snow crabs. The crustaceans are disappearing by the billions. Officials have canceled this year's commercial crabbing season in the Bering Sea for the first time ever. Beyond the environmental disaster, the die-off has enormous economic consequences for commercial fishers and processors. Coming up this hour, we'll hear what native crabbers are planning and the implications of the last crabbing season on local communities. We're back right after the news.
1: For National Native News, I'm Daniel Montano, in for Antonia Gonzalez. Authorities say they've arrested all three suspects in the shooting death of two people and the shooting of an officer after a day-long multi-agency search on the Colville Reservation in Northeast Washington. KHQ News reports the search began after the Colville Tribal Police Department responded to a call about a shooting in the small community of Keller on Thursday. Police found two people dead at the scene. A tribal officer pursued a vehicle that matched the description provided by witnesses. He was shot in the arm during the chase. A news release from the tribe says he was transported to a hospital for medical care and is now in stable condition. The campaign manager for an Arizona candidate for governor is drawing backlash for a tweet that included an illustration of a bloody ancient human sacrifice, along with the words, Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. The Arizona Mirror reports Colton Duncan, who works for Republican candidate Carrie Lake, posted the image October 10th of a bygone ritual by Mesoamerican civilization that lived nearly 2,000 miles away. Lake had previously described Duncan as the most important person on her campaign. The tweet went largely unnoticed until a Democratic lobbyist and campaign consultant called attention to it. Native leaders condemned the tweet and are calling for a public apology from Lake. Gila River Indian Community Governor Stephen Rowe Lewis called it racist garbage and says, quote, Arizona's native peoples deserve better. National committeewoman for the Arizona Democratic Party, Debbie Nez Manuel, who is Navajo, says the tweet is inexcusable. Arizona is home to 22 federally recognized tribes. Former state representative and Navajo tribal member Sylvia Lafter has died. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, she represented part of the Navajo Nation at the state capitol for six years and was the first Navajo woman to serve as a lawmaker from her district.
2: Laughter was first elected in 1998 to the Arizona State House and represented a vast swath of rural northern Arizona that included many of the tribal lands in the state. According to Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez's office, she obtained crucial funding for programs that benefited tribal members. Laughter was the founder of the Navajo Code Talker Memorial Foundation and led the effort to construct bronze monuments to the revered soldiers and the tribal capital of Window Rock, Arizona, as well as the city of Phoenix, the state capital. She also sponsored legislation to create the state's Navajo Nation license plate that still provides transportation revenue. Navajo Nation Council Speaker Seth Damon says Laughter pursued justice and accountability and fought for her community and the tribe during her tenure. He says Laughter secured more than $20 million for education, veterans, and elders. According to a family GoFundMe site, Laughter had battled COVID-19 for ten months before her unexpected death on October 15th, they write that laughter was a, quote, advocate for freedom and truth. Funeral services were held over the weekend. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona.
1: Marjorie Mejia, longtime tribal chairperson for the Lytton Rancheria of Northern California, died unexpectedly of natural causes last week. She was in her 60s. The Richmond Standard reports during her 27-year tenure as chair, Mejia helped develop the small Sonoma County tribe. She established the San Pablo Lytton Casino, which made the tribe self-sufficient. She also secured a homeland by building a master-planned community in Windsor. Mejia helped expand infrastructure, businesses, investments, housing, and health care. She was recognized across the country as a distinguished leader for her hard work and devotion to advancing her tribe. For National Native News, I'm Daniel Montano.
3: National Native News is produced by Kalanick Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov slash IACB, who support this program. November is National Epilepsy Awareness Month. Did you know one in 10 people will have a seizure? Call 1-800-332-1000 to learn more. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this
4: show. Native Voice 1, the Native American Radio Network.
0: This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Billions of snow crabs have disappeared from the Bering Sea of Alaska. Many scientists are pointing to climate change and warming waters as the primary cause. Alaskan officials have canceled snow crab season as a result. The rapidly declining snow crab population has been both short-term and long-term in terms of consequences on the fishing economy in Alaska. Native communities around Unalaska and St. Paul Island rely heavily on crabbing as an important part of their annual income we're talking with experts about the declining crab population today we also want to hear from our listeners if you're a crabber in alaska or the pacific northwest how is the canceled snow crab season impacting you and your family join our conversation at 1-800-996-2848 that's also 1-800-99-NATIVE you can also post on our social media pages that twitter handle is one eight zero zero nine nine native speaking with us live from kodiak alaska is mike litzo he is a marine biologist and director of the Kodiak Lab for the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration Fisheries. Mike, welcome to the show.
4: Yeah, good morning, Sean. Thanks for having me on.
0: Mike, huge number of Alaskan snow crabs have seemingly disappeared. When was the drastic population decrease first spotted?
4: Well, we got our first indications in 2019. So, um just to give you sort of the the history, our group has been doing these bottom trawl surveys to estimate the, the number of snow crab in the Bering Sea to to set fisheries quotas since the early 1980s. And in 2018, we saw the most snow crab that we've ever seen in that whole time, and, and things were looking great for the fishery. Then 2019, we saw about half as many as we'd seen in 2018. There was a lot of head scratching. 2020, we missed the survey because of COVID, and then 2021, we went out and there was just almost, I shouldn't say nothing, but it felt like nothing um our survey abundance went down by about 10 billion animals between 2018 and 2021
0: that's just a huge number 10 billion and it, scientists are using this term disappearance disappeared I mean, what does that mean exactly i mean is it safe to say that these uh these sea creatures have died off
4: yeah i think at this point it's really safe to say that so we've we've gone out again in 2022 we've done another survey And in 2021, we just had such a shocking answer. There was a lot of interest in whether the crabs had actually died or perhaps they had just moved into an area that wasn't available to the survey or, you know, some sort of other explanation. But with the data we got for 2022, it it just really looks like they died off. And it's a mass mortality event that we're dealing with.
0: And what is the cause?
4: Well, um there's a couple of uh, uh of projects that are underway trying to you know analyze the data we have and figure that out. And both of those projects independently have identified warming of the Bering Sea as as the real cause. Um it's not surprising because snow crab are an ice associated arctic animal. You know, we find them in really really cold temperatures in the Bering less than 2 degrees C. Bottom temperatures is where we find uh, snow crab, and those are areas that are uh, seasonally ice-covered in the winter and remain almost at freezing during the summer on the bottom. And in 2018 and 2019, we saw this incredible warming event in the Bering Sea, where we had ice-free conditions all the way up to Bering Strait in March, which you know, the oceanographers oceanographers had told us we should never expect to see in our lifetimes. So, just really shocking uh unusually warm events in 2018 and 2019 and and all the data we have at this point really point to that as as the cause of the decline.
0: How much warmer was the water during these heat waves in 2018 and 2019 which caused uh, the Bering Sea to lose its ice cover?
4: Yeah well I guess the so the most immediate um number for the snow crab is uh summer bottom temperatures on our survey and they were sort of in round numbers about two degrees warmer than normal uh, two degrees Celsius, which you know it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you have this Arctic animal that was in temperatures of say a degree and a half, and then you suddenly bump that up to three and a half degrees, you're really flipping a switch. You're going from an Arctic ecosystem that doesn't have a lot of groundfish predators, that that has low metabolic rates for these crabs, that might not have a lot of disease incidence, and then suddenly you're in this warmer, more subarctic situation. Where you can let in the snow, the predators for snow crab like Pacific cod. You, you might bump up uh, disease incidence. You increase the metabolic needs of these of these crabs, so that that two degree increase is, is a really significant bump for these animals.
0: So signs are pointing towards uh, climate change on uh, this whole crisis here, and. That was this was 2018 2019 when there was this these record heat waves there in the Bering Sea. Have water temperatures recovered to normal levels since?
4: Yeah, they have. So um, 2020 and 2021 were not as extreme, uh, extremely warm as 2018 2019. And now 2022, we're seeing conditions that are more like the 30-year average. So that's good news um, in the short term. And then we're also seeing in our survey a, a significant number of really small crab appearing. And so those crab are about four or five years out from being big enough to support a fishery. But the hope is that if we get a run of colder temperatures and uh, if those small crab are able to survive, that we might get some relief for the industry you know, in four or five years. But, but of course, that's a long time for anyone who's trying to, to pay a mortgage or who's trying to pay for, for local government uh, based on, on economic activity around snow crab. You know, it's, a, it's a big deal, the impacts that we're seeing.
0: So in the short term, obviously just a huge blow to regional economies and, um, and just overall, I mean, Alaska, Alaska fisheries, do they, make a, a, do they make up a significant portion of the overall U.S. seafood industry?
4: Oh yeah. Um Alaska's a uh, a big player, you know, more than half of the um the seafood produced in the United States comes from comes from Alaska. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but nationwide we're we're the biggest player in, in seafood production. The seafood industry is the largest private employer in Alaska. Um, the uh the ex vessel, you know, price paid at the dock value of Alaskan seafood is above um Again, I'll have those numbers in front of me, but above a billion dollars a year. It's it's just a really big economic driver for our state. Um, and then one more thing to to say about these these warming and, and climate change effects that we're seeing is the climate scientists are telling us that this is global warming, that um, in particular the warming events that we've seen in the Bering Sea, as far as the climate scientists can tell, wouldn't have been possible in the pre-industrial climate, that this is really the the effect of human activities that we're seeing playing out in our ecosystems.
0: Now, the state took this unprecedented step of canceling this season's harvest in an effort to save the species. Um, how confident are folks that this will just be a, a one year moratorium and, and the harvest will be back on next year?
4: Yeah, well, that's, you know, the big question, of course, for anyone who's dependent on this fishery to make their livelihood Um so the state made that decision, and I'll stress that I wasn't involved in that decision, but they, you know, they really explained that they were coming down on the side of trying to conserve the stock and, and really looking for recovery in the stock. And that was the, the motivation for for closing the fishery. So unfortunately, um, the story is not great short term. You know, this is a data rich ecosystem. We've got pretty good information about about the how this stock is doing, about the sizes of crabs that are out there. And it really does look like we're going to see declines in the, the exploitable part of the population, the really large males that support the fishery. Those are expected to continue going down for a few few more years before we see those smaller animals that just arrived into the population, before we see them getting big enough to, to support the fishery.
0: Mike, what about other species in the Bering Sea and what other waters other there? In Alaska? And how will this you know, huge, huge decrease in, in the snow crab population how will it impact those populations? Population?
4: Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, I guess the so the big picture of what's going on here is is something that that both climate scientists and marine biologists have been pointing to for, for a number of years now in terms of climate change impacts on Arctic ecosystems, which is that um, when, you, when you warm up enough, you really do flip a switch where you go from this Arctic, um, Arctic situation where you've got a very ice dominated um, ecosystem that supports a, a particular set of cold water species and you warm up enough and you flip over to that, more subarctic, more boreal ecosystem that's more similar to the Southern Bering Sea or more similar to the Gulf of Alaska. So, so for that area that traditionally supports snow crab, this is really part of a big ecosystem shift that's playing out in front of us as as the Arctic characteristics are lost in that area that traditionally supported the the snow crab fishery, and and we're really looking for. Um, the Arctic conditions in the Bering Sea to retreat farther to the north, um, you know, over, over pretty short timescales.
0: Mike, any chance at all that overfishing could be contributing to the problem?
4: There is, um, so I just had to hate to say, you know, 100% one way or the other, but with the data we have in hand, it's really clear that overfishing and bycatch from other fisheries was not the cause of this collapse, um, there are a lot of uh efforts that go into estimating bycatch for these crab fisheries. Um, we know that those those observed numbers don 't cover all the fisheries that might be hitting snow crab, but with the data we have in hand, bycatch explains less than one half of one percent of the number of crab that are missing it 's just not even you know the bycatch amounts are not close enough to the total uh, number of missing crab to be an important explanation. And it really goes for the directed fishery as well for the, the effect of actual crab fishing on this stock. You know, The fishery really targets large males, doesn't really catch a lot of females, doesn't catch a lot of immature animals, but it's those female and immature numbers that are down as much as or more than the, the large males. So it, at this point, it, it looks really clear that it's not fishing effects that cause this collapse.
0: Mm-hmm. really shocking shocking information to learn uh, up there in alaska this huge huge drastic drop in the snow crab population has caused the fishing season to be canceled for this year for 2022-2023 folks if you're up in alaska if you have a comment to make if you know firsthand what this experience is please we'd love to hear from you or if you're just someone down this way who enjoys eating a good crab legs all you can eat buffet You have any thoughts? 1-800-996-2848. The closer to Election Day, the more the public is bombarded with campaign ads. Political campaigns are the source of a lot of misleading information. We'll go over some tools voters and other news consumers can use to keep from getting fooled during the election season. That's on the next Native America Calling.
3: Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash tribalmuseumsday. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program.
0: Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The rapidly declining snow crab population in Alaska is our focus today. We're speaking with scientists and communities who are directly affected. Please join us. We'd love to hear from our listeners in Alaska today. Let us know if you've been affected by the canceled snow crab season. 1-800-996-2848 is the number to call. Join the conversation. Once again, that's 1-800-996-2848. Our producers are ready. We're standing by waiting for your call. We'd love to hear from anybody up there in Alaska with their boots on the ground who can give us a little bit more insight as to what's going on. And speaking with us next is Dennis Robinson, and this is somebody who can certainly provide a little bit of on-the-ground insight. the president of the Kalawangan Tribe of Unalaska, alaska Dennis, thanks for joining us.
5: Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh.
0: Dennis, it's, it's great to have you on the air, and please help our listeners who might not be familiar with the geography of Alaska. Where is your community located?
5: We are approximately, well, 800 miles southwest of Anchorage. Um, we're out in the Aleutian chain. We're 100 miles off of the... Uh, off of the tip of the Alaska Peninsula.
0: Okay, so and uh, uh, very, very remote area out there. And, and please tell us more this crisis that we're learning about today—the declining number of crabs. How is it impacting the people and the families in your community?
5: Well, what what uh, on Alaska is 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 the largest fishing port in the United States, is in terms of. Uh, of poundage uh, delivered and our main industry is is a support industry for the for the fishing vessels that fish in the Bering Sea and uh, those are the family owned businesses uh, some of the businesses that come from other states that operate up here to 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 support the uh, industry and with this cut in in uh, I mean w- without without having the crab both either king crab and uh, the appealo crab seasons uh, it's going to be a significant hit to our municipal budget and the municipality provides all of the uh, the services that uh, people need electricity water sewer uh, landfill etc and uh, but w- when when we don't have this season we can't quantify how much we lose in tax revenues and revenues from um, the support sector, what we do know is looking at our, our raw fish tax, which, uh, which we have here in, munici- in the municipality, um, we're looking at probably somewhere between a 2 and $3 million cut to our revenues, uh, which we're just, short, just shy of 10%.
0: So highly, highly significant there in terms of what it takes to to run programs and services and and all the infrastructure that's tied in with this community. But also, what about the families who who make their livings? I understand you have second and third generation crab fishing families. I, what's happening with them?
5: Well, I like to yeah you know, I like to tell people that you know we we've, we've been here for ten thousand years and <laughs> excuse me, um, but. Yes, those families, um, like I said, rely on, on supporting the fishing industry, and uh, those revenues are cut. But we, we look, in on Alaska, we look at, I suppose, the bigger picture because we not only focus just on crab, but we have numerous other species of, of fish as well, and we, we're seeing changes in, in that. So the picture... Should be looked at as a bigger issue than just snow crab. Um, you know, we have declining populations in some areas of fish. We have explosions in others. We have uh, you know, fish fish moving into areas where they weren't weren't before. Um, you talk to the crab, the the cod fishermen that are fishing, uh, and uh, their bellies are stuffed full of. Uh, uh, a small apelio crab, um, you know, causing, causing, like I said, the, the Pacific cod to move, move north, right into the crab grounds, and then you talk. I've talked to a, a couple of the uh, halibut fishermen from the ops and they say, yeah, the halibut were the same way. They're, they're catching. They're full of, uh, full of, of small appealios. So, it is okay, a bigger so Dan, picture. So we gonna... need to, we need to focus that.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that because I know that's. Um... You know, that has been one of, one of the theories, as I understand it, is that these warmer waters have allowed predatory fish to move into these traditional snow crab habitats. So um, do you think there could be more going on here than just warming waters and, and the climate change issues that we talked about earlier?
5: Like I said, we, we look at, in nonetheless we look at the, the larger picture, and all indicators... Uh, to us, the, the major indicators to us is the, and I don't like to say climate change because it gets people's ire up, I refer to it as the changing climate. They cannot deny that as changing. So mm-hmm. it is the changing climate, and we need to pay close attention. I think we missed some of the uh, you know, the indicators of that when the king crab disappeared out of the Gulf in 1985 and still never came back. Um, we, we should have, you know, I think more emphasis should have been placed on finding out the real reason why, and it wasn't simply overfishing. It was, you know, a number of other factors in there. So uh, Mike alluded to it a little earlier in, the, in say, in the warmer waters, uh, increases the metabolism of the crab. Well, what, what that means is that these crab eat more, and uh, there are some... Uh, Theories that the the small crab are eating themselves out of food, and then they start cannibalizing each other and eating each other. So there are a number of things that need to be taken into consideration, and and like I said, looking at the whole picture instead of one or two items, uh, you know, in it, uh, and especially paying attention, you know, listening to the stuff that goes on on social media that get, gets gets a lot of false information out there really quickly. Ah, uh, people latch onto that and it's it's disturbing.
0: Certainly, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for pointing that out. We definitely want to make sure we're providing quality information on our, on our show today. And so Dennis, let's talk now uh about the immediate future and specifically these economic challenges that uh folks in on Alaska are facing. What do you think it's going to take to uh to get families and, and businesses and just government, everybody through this crisis right now with regard to these, um, this huge, huge decrease in the population of snow crabs and some of these other creatures.
5: It's going to take some time and understanding what the changing climate is going to bring us and how we can best, best uh, deal with that um, time. And uh, it's not something that we can fix overnight overnight. Um, it it is time that's going to be the only thing that can heal, whether we can heal it or not. But I always tell people that, man, if we we can focus on on a fish here or there, but if we don't pay attention to what's happening to our planet, then our great-great-grandchildren may not have oxygen to breathe. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: And I have heard some folks calling for, for rapid... Financial relief, uh, similar to like what we see with some of these natural disasters, these hurricanes that have hit Florida in recent years, and, and other catastrophes such as that. Um, do you think that's something that needs to happen up there in Alaska with these communities that are being so dramatically impacted?
5: I yes, I do, and to to a point or to somewhat, um, you know, it's uh, the fishing. Industry directly is is it's highly from out of state. Um, It's the support industry that the communities provide for that: the storage of the people's crab pots or fishing gear, um, the the repairs and the maintenance of the fishing vessels once they get here, the providing of fuel and that type stuff, Um, (laughs) which has a direct effect on our economy. So yes, in that sense, but. uh, the city of Unalaska, alaska i know uh, and i'm speaking on that because i'm also the vice mayor of the city of Unalaska. alaska you know we, we've 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 prepared ourselves for this because we felt that crunch back in 1983 when the king crab crashed in the bering sea and uh so we we were prepared for it but that's not to say that we're going to be able to weather it um so yes but there are there are communities uh, that definitely need some help, and, and will need some help just to survive, just to keep the lights on. Um, the cost of living in this region is is incredible. It's sixty five. It's north of sixty five percent higher than it is in Anchorage.
0: Dennis, how about the cultural significance of of the snow crab? Uh, your tribe are, are there stories and legends of the crabs, and are they closely interwoven into the cultural fabric of the community
5: we are we are a, a people that uh, that basically i mean we've been here for in one geographical area for probably longer than any other uh indigenous people on the face of the planet and the reason being is we don't we did we never followed the food the food comes to us anywhere else in the world if people the humans followed the food so yes, there is there is some impact there, um, but we also have another uh, situation that is impacting our ability right in you know directly in our bay uh, to uh, you know to, to get the food that we traditionally eat, and that's the sea otter population has just boomed, and they eat all of our crab. We can't go out and catch a crab to to, catch, to save our lice within our bay. Um, they eat all our clams. Um, the, all our, all our sea urchins, so yeah, it's 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 rather difficult, uh, you know. And some of the the changes that have taken place, and and some of the management of some of these species that that just sometimes to us don't make any sense. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Dennis, like I said before that last break, I think to so many folks, especially down here in, in the lower forty-eight, when they think of crabs, they they think of hanging out, having a good time on a Friday night at the at the local casino all you can eat crab lug crab leg buffet and, and they just you know enjoy eating seafood and things like that and what do you want folks like that folks like even myself folks down here in the lower forty eight that, that don't have this intimate knowledge of the sea of of sea creatures of the fishing industry of life in Alaska what do we need to understand about this issue Dennis
5: that it's a bigger issue than just one species it's it's multi-species it's it's across the board and it, it also it doesn't pertain just to fish it's sea mammals also and land mammals i mean everything is it's it's a global condition that we need to pay attention to
0: dennis i've read that alaska is the fastest warming state in the entire u.s does does that scare you at all just when you hear statistics like that when you read it and just describing what you see on a daily basis living there?
5: No, I it's it's not uh, that's that's not um untrue. It, it, we are. We we see it, you know firsthand um and we've seen firsthand for quite a few years now it, our changing climate and it's it's rather disturbing. So it's, um mm. yeah I always tell her people is look we need to, we need to be good to the land for it was not given to us by our parents but loaned to us by our children. So mm-hmm.
0: We need to well, protect- Dennis, I really absolutely and really appreciate all of your insights and uh the experience that you have uh folks uh Dennis Robinson he's the president of the Kalawangan tribe of Unalaska, and he's talking with us about how these uh, shortages, this huge, huge drop in the, the population of snow crab is impacting uh, his community, but also some of these other farther reaching ripple effects that he sees uh, as pressing and, and and dire as well. We've got another guest uh, in in Alaska on the show today. Joining us now from St. Paul Island is Philip Zafidil, and he is the city manager of St. Paul Island. Philip, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, Philip, please tell us uh, more about St. Paul Island. I understand the local economy there is also heavily dependent on crabbing.
6: Yes, we are. Um, For those that might not know, listening to this show, we're located uh, pretty much in the middle of the Bering Sea, about 800 air miles from Anchorage and about uh, 280 miles north of where uh, Dennis is. And, yeah, we rely heavily on snow crab and a number of other species. But in particular, um, city, city government revenues um, rely heavily. About 60% of our um, general fund revenues is um, from snow crab. So we're going to see a huge loss in municipal revenues that provide uh, for public safety services, services. Um, Great, grading roads, snow removal, all those types of things. In addition, um, all the support services that Dennis had mentioned in um, Alaska, we provide here crab pot storage, um, fuel to boats, groceries to boats, all those types of things. So we're going to see a huge loss um, for our community and we're trying to figure out how, how to address that and what we're going to do in the, the future.
0: Now, a rapid relief financial program, is that
6: something that you've got your eye on? Yes, we're in the process right now. Um, should be submitting it today, uh, doing a letter to the Secretary of Commerce to um, request a fisheries disaster for uh, the Bristol Bay Red King crab and Bering Sea snow crab fisheries. Um, we can do that Um Under Section 312 of the Magnuson-Stevens Act, Um, the state can also do that. But as a as a community, as a municipality, um, we're going to do that as well, just because of that huge loss um, in funding to municipal revenues to provide those services. So that should be going today, uh, out the door today, and hopefully, um, hopefully that the government moves quickly on that and that we will see some type of relief um, in this coming year. Uh, But the process could take a little bit longer to kind of figure out what uh, relief there could be for for our community and our residents.
0: Now you mentioned that the Bristol Bay Red King crab fishing season has been closed for the second year. So that just compounds uh, this issue as well. And are, are are you folks heavily dependent on that that and that red red king crab? I mean, I know it's a different area, but is it does that have ripple effects as well on your, on on Alaska there? Uh,
6: for for St. Paul, yeah, um, we also receive uh, red king crab deliveries into St. Paul, and it's processed here and collects tax dollars on that. Um, it's not as much as the Bering Sea snow crab, but definitely uh It's just kind of a double whammy of having that uh closed for a second season and then and then the uh, the snow crab season closed as well mm-hmm.
0: We're talking now with uh, people in Alaska, and we're learning more about this dire situation with the snow crab population and how it's impacting local economies, how it's impacting families, how it's impacting communities. And if you'd like to join in, if you're in Alaska, if you know firsthand what this issue is, please, we'd love to hear from somebody with their boots on the ground or just somebody who has something to say. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848.
3: Early voting has started, but with possible changes in district lines and state election laws, it's more important than ever to know how, when, and where to vote. That's why AARP created state-specific election guides where you can find up-to-date information about how to register, where to vote, the rules for early voting, and key deadlines. You don't have to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. Learn more at aarp.org election guides AARP supports this show.
0: You're listening to Native, Native America, America Call. Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still time to join our conversation, snow crabs in the Bering Sea of Alaska. Join that conversation by calling 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got Philip Zaffidel on the line. He's in St. Paul Island where he is the city manager, and he's telling us a uh, uh, a great deal of information about what's happening up there in terms of the local economy in terms of how this crisis is impacting tax revenues and city budgets urban budgets and, and it's just a, a huge huge issue with with a lot of ripple effects and um Phillip, i want to ask you because uh earlier we heard mike say that the the normal water temperatures there in the bering sea they appear to have returned this huge heat wave that just uh, it seems all signs pointed that's what really caused this huge huge decimation of the snow crab population and so perhaps it looks good but again it's going to be a few years before that snow crab population uh returns to normal so okay there's this year maybe you can get some relief funding maybe you can kind of get some things in place but what about 2 3 years maybe even 4 years in the future is the is the community in the local in the local economy how is that going to impact you folks uh, over what could be a prolonged prolonged uh, economic
6: slump? Yeah, I think um, we'll be focusing on how we can pivot to something else and look at other revenues coming into the community. Maybe increase in tourism. Uh, looking at uh additional taxes uh that might not hit the residents but people visiting the community that we could um assess to continue to provide services to um our businesses and other and our residents um outside of those supported by the the fishing industry um the city uh, back in the heyday of crab we we did put money uh, in savings, if you will. Um, so we might have to tap into that a little bit to kind of ride this out. Um, yeah, I think the uh, w- we've always adapted out here, and I think we'll continue to adapt. It's just going to be uh, challenging to figure out how we're going to do that and continue to survive as a community um, out here in the middle of the Bering Sea.
0: Philip, how many people live on St. Paul Island?
6: Um, we're about 350 people, uh, full time residents, and then that uh, goes up obviously during the crab season. And then uh, during the summer tourist season, we get uh, a number of tourists in, and then families come back for uh, just to visit family and also to participate in our summer halibut fishing season.
0: And when you talk to to your constituents and and local people, families, and and fishers, and I mean, what's what's the mood like? How are they holding up? And, and again, this could be a prolonged, prolonged economic challenge.
6: Yeah, I think people are just generally concerned. What what's going to happen? Is the crab going to come back? Or are we going to be able to, you know. earn earn money off the crab, um, to support our community. Um, and my, my message is that, you know, we'll, again, we'll, we'll adapt. We'll make it through this. It just might be challenging. Uh, we might have to, you know, give up certain things, um, not spend as much money, those types of things, but, um, you know, I'm, we're meeting with city council this week to kind of, go through and figure out how this is going to impact our budget and our, our employees. Um, and hopefully we, the plan is not to have to cut, make any layoffs or, or cut hours or those types of things. Um, just as Dennis mentioned, the cost of living out in our community is extremely high. And, um, we just want to make sure people are, uh, able to afford to continue to live here and, um, thrive and support their family and in our community.
0: And Philip, can you tell us about how many pounds of, of uh, crab or are, are, are in the past have been harvested on average there on, on St. Paul Island or, or processed?
6: Oh, on the average, it, it goes up and down every year. I think 2000, um, let's see, 2019, we had a good year, 2020. Um, 2021, it uh, dipped, or 2021-22, it dipped a little bit. So, um, due to the crab rationalization program, which happened back in roughly 99, 2000, 2001, after a huge uh, collapse in the crab stocks, um, the the fishery is rationalized. Um, part of that include included providing uh, securities of St. Paul, and uh, northern region crab being delivered into St. Paul. So we get about 50% of the total quota uh, into St. Paul. So for, for the previous season, we were at, I think, 22 million pounds um, for the total quota. And we received about half of that here into St. Paul. This last season that just finished up um, back in March, April, we were at about 5.6 million pounds. Um, for the total quota, we received about half of that in the in the Saint Paul. Um, so okay. it's it, you know, it's kind of a boom or bust over the years, depending on what the quota is doing.
0: Let's go back to Dennis. Uh, Dennis, so crabbing season it it runs from what like late October and, until about March. Is it about about a six season about a six month season?
5: Um, years ago, it used to be um but as as uh you know, as the the fishing vessels uh since the rationalization, what the owners of the quota have and and they' they're, they're going to take their crab to the most economical place that they can take it and and it happens to be um, near uh St Paul. And if, if, it's, if, it's, if there's too much going on there, the second thing they look at is the price that you're going to get for, per pound for it. So some will, some will bring it here. But their, their whole goal is to be able to catch their quota and go back home as soon as possible and not, mm-hmm. not drag out. So with rationalization, it shortened the seasons. It, it okay. shortened them considerably.
0: And can you, uh, for our listeners that aren't familiar with um, what that lifestyle is like, I mean, what, what is, uh, what, is it hard work? What, what all does it take to just go out there and, and harvest crab on the Bering Sea?
5: It is hard, and it's also dangerous. Um, it, it, it's, it's grueling. And as I said, you know, the, the whole goal is to catch your quota and, and get back. So some, some of the vessels go around the clock. You know, until they, until they load their, their, you know, their fish holds, and, or, you know, and then get back in and, uh, and deliver those and turn around, and go right back out. So it is grueling, um, you know. And and some of the people, I mean, some of the guys will stay up. Some, I mean, when I fished back in, in the king crab heyday in in the 80s or 70s and 80s, late 70s, early 80s, there were times that we we're up for, you know, 48 to 50 hours and before we went to to bed uh, for a couple hours so it it is grueling
0: i'm also thinking about all of these restaurants and and food service providers and not only in the lower 48 but all over the world and so many people love seafood dennis are are prices going to be going up here in in the near future or are they all ready for for crab leg lovers and and other seafood connoisseurs
5: that's definitely the way things happen. It's the supply and demand, and then the 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 lower the supply, the, the higher the the cost goes. So yes, we'll see an increase in in prices.
0: Let's bring Mike Litzo back into the conversation. Mike, are you seeing a decline in fishing all over Alaska? Other types of of um, of fish. I know you know there's the halibut. There's the salmon. Um, there's the Pollock and the Cod. What's what do those markets look like?
4: Yeah, well I think um overall the the picture remains pretty good. Um, I think Dennis referred to the how diverse the, the fisheries are that are that are prosecuted or practiced out of out of Alaska. You know, there's a lot of different target species in the Bering Sea and so we have that that big mix. You know, some will be up and some will be down, and, and having that mix is, is helpful for stability and resilience. Um, there are some some real cautionary stories going on. Um, I think the biggest one besides snow crab would be um, salmon runs on the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. That's impacted a, a number of native communities in western Alaska in a really severe way with the loss of the subsistence resources. So that's a big one that's going on. But then, conversely, Bristol Bay, uh, red salmon, sockeye salmon, which are just south of that region, they've been setting records year after year in terms of the the strength of the runs. So, so there are some some really um, uh, negative outcomes that we're seeing for some fisheries, but then other fisheries are doing really well. And. I guess that's that's you know the job of people like me is to try to figure out why which one is doing poorly and this one's doing well and then try to figure out you know how to how to predict that going forward which is really challenging but so overall it's Alaska is not at all a doom and gloom situation um for the the full picture for fisheries but there are certainly these individual fisheries that are they're seeing really negative out, outcomes right now
0: Mike earlier you talked about the equipment and the expertise needed to to measure the crab populations, and do you have similar um, processes for monitoring these other fish populations there in the state
4: yeah, absolutely um, you know overall, I think Alaskan fisheries management has been 's been pretty darn good um, you know i 'm involved in that process, so I guess i 'm sort of um, you know patting my own team on the back but um, fisheries management in Alaska is a mixture of, of federal fisheries management and then management by the state of Alaska. Um, the state has responsibility for all the salmon runs, managing all the salmon runs in the state, and I think in general those have been really well managed, um, although we are seeing those those real negative outcomes for a few runs, like in the uh, Yukon-Kuskokwim uh, region. Um, then for the Bering Sea, um, It's a joint state and federal management for crabs. And I think that's, you know, again, I'm sort of patting my team on the back, but I think we do a pretty good job in terms of collecting data on these populations that um, operate over a huge area. You know, the Bering Sea is just a vast place, and it's pretty challenging to go out and and monitor populations across that huge space. But um, we've, we've got the resources to go out and survey them every year. Um, the same survey that I'm involved in for crab also monitors groundfish populations, which are hugely important in the Bering Sea. So uh, pollock, the pollock fishery in the Bering Sea is the largest food fishery in the world. Um, that's generally been been doing quite well for quite a long time, and, and, and Dennis can speak to, to that, uh, the importance of that population for Unalaska in particular. Um, but then it is that... that fisheries management and that data collection that allows us to see things like what Dennis was referring to earlier with movement in some other fish populations so pollock and cod went so far north during this warming this last warming event you know they were up north of St Lawrence Island up close to the Bering Strait in places we've never seen them in any numbers before and and it is because we have that data collection that goes on year after year every year that that we can monitor these changes in the system
0: okay well Dennis, I'd like you to, to chime in there. Do you have anything to add regarding some of these other fish populations and um, issues that impact them there in Alaska?
5: Right. You know, I, probably the, the biggest message that probably I should I mean that, that I need to get across is we need to listen to the science. We need to pay attention to the science and not not do these knee jerk reactions of blaming one other, you know, and, and, and that. Um, you know, the for instance the chum salmon. Issue, that's you know largely what goes in the Bering Sea is from hatcheries out of uh, out of Japan and, and Russia and what what kind of effect do those hatcheries have on the stocks that that we have coming to our Alaska rivers? Um, it's it's got to have some effect on it, um, but do we counter that with putting fish hatcheries of our own in? You know that's that's a big question. But then we we won't face the changing the, the, uh, the ecosystem. So pay attention to the science is, is what we try to do and, uh, and resist the knee-jerk reactions and the emotional, uh, the emotional portion of you know, wanting, to, wanting to shut somebody down. I mean, I, I liken it to, uh, to being mad at somebody for eating a donut because you're on a diet. Uh, it, it just doesn't make sense to me, but the science is important.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a really interesting analogy, Dennis. Let's go back to Philip on, on St. Paul Island. And Philip, I also want to, we just got about a minute before we wrap up, but um, I'm also interested in just the potential effect on, on the crab, crab processors. And again, how many processors are there on St. Paul Island and, and how many people do they employ?
6: Um, let's see, we have one processor. Uh, back in the heyday of crab, there used to be uh, three and then a number of floating processors outside the harbor. Uh, but at this point in time, it's just Trident Seafoods. Um, and most of their employees come from off island, but they, they employ roughly a dozen, half a dozen of people uh, during the season uh, in various parts of, of the, the operation. Um, so that's going to be another loss. Those people won't won't have work uh, this winter, and um, definitely going to be looking elsewhere to try to to feed their families. And that's something we'll again we'll try to figure that out um, as we move forward with this. Mm-hmm.
0: And these are seasonal employees, mostly it sounds like. So what do these folks do uh, during the off season when there's not a crab industry uh, that's underway?
6: Well, some may pick up, like, construction jobs during the summer. They may fish halibut. Um, some, uh, some hop on crab boats as well. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely going to affect our, our seasonal workers, and uh, hopefully we can supplement that in some way um, as, as we okay. try to figure out how the overall impacts.
0: Well, I'd like to thank our three guests on the show today, Mike Litzo, Dennis Robinson, and Philip Zafodil for a pressing conversation on the current snow crab crisis in Alaska. Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow. We'll talk about media literacy and voter misinformation from a Native perspective. Until then, and as always, thank you for listening. I'm Sean Spruce.
3: This Native American Heritage Month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBPControl. This support provided in partnership with HHS OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228.
4: domestic are Contact your Indian Healthcare provider. Call 1-800-318-2596. To access <laughs> resources, visit www.healthcare.gov/sublists-number-domestic-violence. If <laughs> you're from
6: domestic abuse violence. Call Tamna number. You can and Health Care Service